You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you to everyone who has participated in the service so far. Thank you, Tristan and worship team, and thank you, uh, Jen and Summer. Great job presenting this ministry. Um, Summer, next service, when Jen's talking about young adults need a place to be, look a little more pitiful, okay? Just, just, but uh, no, really great great job. uh, Grace Link used to be Camel Link because we just connected with, well, we didn't just connect with Campbell students, but it felt like it. So Grace Link brings in all of our young adults, those who are at local schools, uh, who are home on the weekend, maybe off university somewhere else. Also, um, for those uh, who are in the workforce, they decided not to go to school, they're working a job. It's for everybody, all young adults, to connect with the older adults will be a great, great thing. And speaking of older adults, I want to ask special prayer this morning for Jim Acock who is in the hospital at Lillington, Central Hornet Hospital. He went in uh, Friday night with a a really bad infection on his leg and pneumonia. So uh, 94, he'll be 95 next month. Let's pray very specifically for Jim. I talked to Joy on the way in today. She says he had a good night. So that's a good sign. We're praying uh, that he will be okay. Uh, So please keep Uh, praying for that. Okay, concert tonight, Andrew Peterson concert. Uh, We, I think, do we still have a few tickets left or not? Yay or nay? Anybody know? Just a few. All right, just a very few. Okay, if you jump ahead of the selfish people, you might be able to get those. So, uh, since several home groups will not be meeting, we're going to pass out the home group notes this week. In fact, I want everybody in the church to get these uh, after the service on your way out of the sanctuary. Please limit it to one or two per family. Uh, These notes come courtesy of theft that I participated in this week from Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone. The notes uh, for their life groups, my son is the... Uh, pastor of discipleship at Alliance Bible Fellowship, and he writes the group questions, and they happen to be in Titus, and fortunately, one week ahead of us. So uh, I've snagged these. They're really good. They're just good questions for all of us to think about it. He wrote it in conjunction with another staff member, and he did give permission for us to lift those that way. So I want to ask a question. Since we're talking about multi-generational church, I'll start by asking a question about your personality. I'm not going to say your character, but just your tendencies. Uh, if, If it's character, then I'm in big trouble. Are you better at starting things or finishing things? Now, every once in a while, you'll come across someone who has a hard time getting going, but once he or she is going... You can count on it. The project is going to get done. Many of us, maybe even most of us, though, are really good at starting things, but not so good at finishing things. Because when you get into the project, when you get into a book, you get into anything, it's like, 
oh, but there are so many other books to read. There are so many other projects to do. And you sort of get started, but then you're off to something else. Finishing well is far more difficult than beginning, even beginning well. This seems to be especially so in the Christian life. From Genesis to Revelation, you read about people who started well, but they didn't end well. Two or three of the kings uh, in, 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 in Samuel and, and, and kings in Chronicles, two or three of those guys started off really well, but they fell off. And it wasn't until much later in life they began to struggle. The percentage of those in our country who consider themselves unaffiliated with any religion. Now think about this. Unaffiliated with any religion went from the single digits in the 1990s, single digits, to somewhere around 25% today. One out of every four people says, I'm not affiliated with any religion, much less Christianity or a denomination of Christianity. Short of a revival, the future of Christianity in the United States does not look so rosy. But if you think the future of Christianity looks bleak here, just imagine what it must have seemed like on the island of Crete in first century uh, when the New Testament book of Titus was written. Titus was actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege who was in charge of establishing churches all around Creek. Crete, not Creek. We need some churches in the Creek. No, I'm just, we got to get like some, some, some good churches over there. Um, we're going to be in Titus for seven weeks, to, with today being the very middle sermon. Now, Ricky is going to pe- preach the next two weeks from Titus, and then I'll finish the series, Lord willing, on the first Sunday of November. Instruction for first century churches. What does that have to do with us? It's not only relevant for us, it is the very foundation of our beliefs and practices. Having embraced the the, the purity of the gospel of Jesus in Titus 1, I hope you have done that as we've gone through Titus 1. Today we're going to begin to see Uh, why the initial church design is so right for our time today. And it's exactly what God designed for the ages. Specific instructions are going to be given in chapter 2 for the roles of men and women of all ages and instruction to Christian slaves that affirm their role in the church and evangelism. Uh, It's been a very busy week for me this week. Uh, Some of it was activity, personal activity, but a lot of it was ministry related. I was at the funeral yesterday. It was a long funeral for Ross Marion, but my goodness, beautiful. Ross Marion, pastor for 30 years at Wake Chapel Church in Fuquay, Verena, was the first pastor in one of the larger more established churches in Fuquay. He was the first pastor to begin to preach the gospel in many, many years. It had been a long time since someone preached the scripture like Ross Marion did. And what a blessing to be there as he was honored. Actually, let me say it this way. The Lord Jesus Christ was honored. And so was Ross Marion. Four different pastors. The second one got up and said, 
You know, the last guy up gets blamed for everything. If the service goes long, it doesn't matter how long the music was, the announcements, the prayer time. It's the preacher who gets blamed. And then he says, ha ha, you're doing last, uh, Isaac. So he, he had a good time preaching for uh, a while. <clears throat> so before we consider our text, and what, what I was going to say about that was this. It's been a crazy week, but fortunately, I've been writing this sermon literally for 23 years. I've never been able to preach it fully. I've said little bits and pieces, but now in Titus 2, and I think about God's design for Grace Community Church. And before we read our text, I want us to consider Eugene Peterson's thoughts from his book, The Contemplative Pastor, that emphasizes the importance of passing the gospel from one generation to the next. Quote, Neither the mysteries of Scripture nor the mess of our world is simple. If we're going to learn a life of holiness in the mess of history, we are going to have to prepare for something intergenerational and think in centuries. Know what Jen was saying a while ago about our young adult ministry and our college Students that come in and they're out. We, we see a lot of them walk away who grew up here in grace. Well, not walk away from the Lord, but just they, they go on to school somewhere else. They, they begin their lives somewhere else. Same for students that come into Campbell and they're out uh, in four years. But what happens here? We are thinking in centuries, literally. We're thinking in centuries with these guys who come in. What a privilege for us to be blessed by that youthful zeal for Jesus and also to pour into them. So if we are going to learn a life of holiness in the mess of history, we're going to have to prepare for something intergenerational and think in centuries. Think about these words as we read our text, Titus chapter 2, 1 through 10. It's our custom at grace to stand as the word is being read. So if you would, please stand for the reading of the word. By the way, I was turning to Titus and I just thought, you want to know the T's that go in order in alphabetical order, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. So that's how you get to Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, Titus, the Apostle Paul writes, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil 
to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are not to be, or they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. In Titus chapter 1, verses 9 to 16, the Apostle Paul made it clear to Titus that a relationship with God is not about behavior, it is about belief. Now, behavior follows belief, but it must start with behavior. In Titus 2, Paul begins by saying that sound doctrine or belief, what we believe about God as he has revealed himself to us, leads to good behavior. So it's not that good works are meaningless. It's just that you have to get the order right. Begins with faith and it follows with good works. And you can't do good works hoping that God will say, okay, you're good enough. I'm going to consider you a Christian. No, we become a Christian by what we believe and the good works follow. So we are expected to be reverent in behavior, self-controlled, a model of good works, and submissive. In Titus 2, uh, verses 1 through 8, Paul will instruct all believers in the categories of older men and women. I decided not to go with old men and women, okay? But we will go with young men and women as well. Interestingly, verse 1 is not just looking back to the doctrine of the gospel, but it's looking forward to the doctrine of biblical manhood and womanhood. What, is, what does the Bible say about men and women? How, and how important is it to get this right? <laughs> what the Bible teaches about men and women and their roles in the home, in the church, in society is sound doctrine. And as we learned a few months ago from Psalm 45, actually from Genesis 1, Psalm 45, Matthew 19, Ephesians 5, Revelation 19, God has a design that is consistent from the beginning to the end. As Richard Phillips said about this text, The clear and insistent teaching of the New Testament on gender identity, marital relations, and sexual conduct carries the same divine authority as its teaching on justification. Man, I'm doing this every week, Dale. Did I miss a a slide there? Uh, So let me read that again. The clear and insistent teaching of the New Testament on gender identity, marital relations, and sexual conduct carries the same uh, divine authority as its teaching on justification. Okay, somehow in that busyness last night, I missed that slide. In Titus 2, all the truth from Genesis to Revelation is assumed as Paul gives specific instructions for all four groups, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. So we're going to spend a few minutes here in the text, and then we'll take a few minutes in verses 9 to 10, where Paul addressed bondservants who were believers, or to be more specific, he gave instructions to slaves. 
And after working through the text, we're going to bring this timeless truth into the 21st century and think about the implications for individuals and for the covenant family known as Grace Community Church. In verse 2, an older man is commanded to be sober-minded, which means he takes all of life into account when making decisions. While sober-minded absolutely means that he is that a godly man, an older man, will not drown his sorrows in drink. Much more is implied. A sober-minded man would not, for instance, whether young or old, neglect family responsibilities or church attendance or church responsibilities for the sake of a job. Of course, older men already know the folly of making such decisions, and they're commanded to pass this on down. An older man is dignified. Now, I'm getting close enough to this age category uh, that I understand the the temptation to listlessness and even self-pity. I can only imagine how easy it would be after retirement for men to wonder about what purpose is mine in this life. Titus is addressing this very concern in the text. Be dignified and also be self-controlled. This is only the first time in this text that we see the admonition to self-control, which indicates the need to exercise good judgment as well as resist temptations to the flesh or from the flesh. Older men are also to be sound in faith or in the knowledge, belief, and practice of the gospel and in love, which cares far more about others than self. That's not easy in our day. We're told to pamper ourselves all the time, especially in retirement age. You deserve this. Come on. Take it easy. The Cretans were not known for caring more about others than they did themselves. They were deceitful, lazy. Paul has already said in in chapter 1, calling them out. And believers are to be very different. Older men, finally, are to be steadfast. It's understandable that we all want to know about the physical health of older men as we are very concerned this morning about Jim Acock. But God is far more concerned about our spiritual health. And I can assure you of this. The guy in the hospital bed in Central Hornet, his spiritual health is really well. It's pretty good. It's really good. We don't have to worry about that. And God cares more about that than he does our physical health. In verse 3, Paul turns his attention to the older Christian women who have the distinct privilege of shepherding younger women in ways that, frankly, men can never do. The first word of instruction is for older women to be reverent in behavior. Now, the Greek word indicates a priest-like service for older women to younger women. And isn't that fascinating? Women, older women are set apart for a special service to God, and that is to younger women in the church. Older women should set an example for younger women with their speech. They are to avoid gossip and slander, 
The Greek word for slanderer is diabolos. Wait a minute. Isn't that the word for devil? Exactly. That's who the devil is, a slanderer. And men are just as guilty as women of slandering, but this is where Paul, all of these instructions are good for everybody, but he's given certain instructions to certain ones. So older women must not be controlled by wine or allow themselves to be addicted to anything or to speak ill of other people. Ladies, you are setting a good example for all of us, but especially for the younger women, teaching them what is good and true in this life. Think about how much of that is going on from what Jen and Summer were saying to us with the, with the young adults. Verses 4 to 5 give older women a great purpose. Spiritual mothering, especially of young women. And you don't need to have children to fulfill this role. If you are an older lady in a church that God has placed you specifically in, then you have a job to do. Thankfully, all of society reinforces the biblical teaching that women are to prioritize the home, to pursue purity, and to be submissive to their husbands. Oh, thank goodness. Think about how difficult it would be if the world said, that's crazy. These instructions are not given to all women, but they are given to Christian women. How important is this? Well, Paul, that hinge verse, Titus 2.1, said it's sound doctrine, justification by faith, older women teaching younger women to be submissive to their husbands. Not easy. So this, once again, from Richard Phillips. It's been on the screen for a while. Despite... No, go back to Dale 1. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. This is my fault, not Dale's. Despite the bizarre insistence of our culture that men and women are the same, the Bible distinguishes between them from its very first chapter. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. The differences between the sexes extend to the entirety of human experience. Women have different joys, different trials, different stresses, and different anxieties than men. Experience shows that as men mature, they come to to value and appreciate women more highly, yet continue to find them mysterious in many ways. I thought that was really funny. With all this in mind, Titus 2.4 urges the older women to train the younger women. Close quote. Is there anything in Scripture that is attacked more vigorously than these commands. I'm certain it's one of the reasons that there is not as much intergenerational conversation as we would like. We oldies believe and behave differently than many youngies. And if the younger ones are not on the same page, why even have the conversation? I don't think we have an opt-out box that we get to check. Scripture says this is what's got to happen. We've got to intermingle. Surely there will be some difference in the ways that we apply these truths. But believe these truths we must. 
just a little drift right here will lead any church to a no good end. In addition to the sin of unbelief, in rejecting this teaching from the Lord, we leave room for the word of God to be reviled. And it's so opposite of what we think it will happen. It's funny. We, <clears throat> we think, oh, we have to make our message palatable to the world. We have to make it an easy pill to swallow. And then, because if we don't, the world will revile the church. And that's going to hurt our witness. Who told you that? Who told you that? Paul told Titus that the older women should teach the younger women to be submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So the very opposite thing is happening when we try to make the church keep up with the culture. In verse 6, Paul turns his attention to the young men with thoughts that are equally valid for young women. Likewise, urge your younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Have you noticed... That all the groups are called to be self-controlled. The Greek word is rather expansive. It means to have a godly understanding of practical matters so as to act soundly. Understand life. Understand what's going on around you through the grid of Scripture. Make your decisions and you will act soundly. You will make good decisions and, and therefore behave well. Young men, more than anyone else, if you do not control your minds, then you are in big trouble. This is true for all ages, older men, older women, younger women, but especially young men. You must, with the help of the Holy Spirit, control your minds. God's word urges you to exercise self-control. Be a good model of works which will point to Jesus. So if you were Satan and you wanted to destroy society, wouldn't you think it'd be a good idea to get young men to abdicate their responsibility to work hard, to marry, and to provide for their families as well as lead them spiritually? Wouldn't you think if you could just get them tied up with video games all day and distractions from every angle that keep them from learning God's ways in the world from creation to present, then that would be a good thing? You know what, all of you, but especially young men, you need to learn history. You need to understand how we got to where we are. I was talking with Brian Salt before the service this morning about some, I just woke up this morning and, and it was so weird. I was in that kind of place where you're just waking up and you think crazy thoughts. And so I probably shouldn't say it, right? But I'm going to anyway. I was thinking, what, can you imagine if you had told 
the average citizen in Germany within 10 years. In 1933, if you'd said within 10 years, you're going to be killing millions of people in gas chambers. They would have thought you were out of your mind. Listen, you, you, what world are you living in? We need to know history so that you can act soundly. But you really need to know the word. Are we really all that different from the world? I mean, just think of our success rate this last 20 years when we've done everything that we can, 25 years, everything that we can to look just like the world. And unaffiliated has Percentages have gone from single digits to 25%. You know, we're not, it doesn't seem like we're that different from the world, but, but our instructions are not that complicated. It's just a matter of obeying. Young men are to pursue Jesus with a passion that affects every area of their lives. And in turn, their lives will be a good witness. Putting opponents of the gospel to shame for their criticism of the church. And they will be left without any legitimate complaints about the message and conduct of believers. The implication is that the opponents of the gospel who may not be convinced by the message, might be convinced when they see your lives. Is there a greater testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ than young men and women walking in holiness? Is there any greater testimony than young men and women living according to the message that they proclaim? Well, verses 9 and 10 are not easy for us to receive because even though there is no legalized slavery in our land, our memory of the horrible mistreatment of slaves in the South is still fresh in our hearts and minds, even though slavery hasn't existed openly for over 150 years. First century slaves fared far better than chattel slaves in America, uh, in, the, in, in the South. Um, in the first century, there were slaves of all races, uh, slaves by birth, slaves through military captivity, or slaves because one had debts he could not repay. Slaves could own businesses or even hold government offices. And they were able to purchase or serve their way to freedom. Now, Paul was against slavery. You don't hardly ever hear this talked about, but 1 Timothy 1.10 lists enslavers, <coughs> or most likely referring to those who, who traded slaves, who purchased and sold slaves for a profit. He listed those as, as, as those who did not live according to God's design and had no evidence of salvation in their lives. And even though Paul's purpose was never to instigate a revolution or a change to the social order, as the influence of the young church grew, women, slaves, common laborers, everyone, all ordinary people benefited from the gospel's impact on the culture. So is there any application for us today 
uh, in Paul's command for slaves to be submissive to their masters in all things and to do so with a good spirit, not being deceitful or dishonest with their master's goods? Uh, the answer, of course, is yes. And the most obvious connection would be for employees who work for another individual or a company. But as William Barclay has said, the Christian is never a man above taking orders. His Christianity teaches him how to serve. So what are we to do with the teaching that we have received this morning? How does it make a difference here at Grace? There are direct applications that can be made, and I happen to have three beginning with for the senior saints at Grace, make yourselves available to the younger men and women among us. Do you know how many seniors we have at Grace Community Church? I'm speak- I just learned this this week. Ricky just volunteered this information to me. I- it's funny how that always happens on the week that I'm preaching about something like this. For those who are 60 years and older, Ricky has 73 on the roll. That's a lot of seniors. Just so you know, we also have 75 infants, toddlers, and children on our roll, and 70 students in the youth ministry on the rolls as well. It's too, young adults are too much in flux to, to have a roll, you know, that they're going to, we've got this number they come, the rest of you fall somewhere in between the seniors and the, and the high school down. We have a good mix at Grace Community Church, and we should never take this for granted. And there is no age group that should be ornamental only. They're not there, just so that we can say, oh, I like being at a church where there are seniors. I like being at a church where there are so many children. And you never get connected with anybody, but you like being at a church like that. There's a reason that God put us together to serve in the ways that we are. How did we fall under the culture spell that older people should live for retirement so they can finally enjoy the life that they've always wanted, and no older person is worth listening to except those who have money, especially those who have money directly tied to your future. Where did we come up with that idea? Jim Acock was telling me this week, he's, done a, he's participated in 150 funerals since he retired. Now think about that. What does that say that a 94-year-old man is participating in funerals? He's having some serious ministry with younger people. I tell him sometimes, uh, Jim, I, would you preach my funeral? And he says, I'd be glad to. So, uh, well, I mean, look, we expected, you know, him to be preaching a lot more funerals. Titus 2 says that seniors have a job to do. Doesn't mean keep working until you drop. That's not the point. I'm not against retirement. When people say, Bible doesn't talk about retirement, amen? I'd say, no, it doesn't, but it doesn't talk about vacation either, amen? Been on a vacation lately? But actually, Bible does retire pastors, or at least priests in the Old Testament. I'm not going to tell you what age that is. 
Your responsibility and your privilege, seniors, is to pass what you know about God and his word to the next generation. So if you are one of those 73 on the roll, how intentional are you at interacting with the younger ones? I know that you might feel intimidated. You might also feel that you have very little in common with the younger generation. It's not that you don't have anything to say, but it's just that you doubt seriously that you will be taken seriously. Again, I'm not sure that we have a biblical excuse to refuse to talk with the younger ones among us, even if we are intimidated. Look, we've designed a lot of ways through the years uh, to have different age groups interact with one another. Um, uh, Men's breakfast typically meets on the third Saturday morning of the month at 8 a.m., although not this month. But men's breakfast brings all ages of men and even boys Together. Now, look, we have to make sure, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We've got to make sure that when we have men's breakfast, we don't segregate into geezer tables and whippersnapper tables. You know, we have to interact. We have to get in there with one another. But it's a great, way, great opportunity for us to get this intergenerational activity started. Alan Box has a blacksmithing shop out back, and he's always having younger men and bringing their sons over. There are lots of ways that we can interact. We have a women's Bible study on uh, Wednesday mornings. You know, it seems to be a little easier for women across the generations to interact than it does for men. Well, we got to work on that. Recently, we had Saturday night activity, a women's ministry activity called The Gathering, in which women of all ages met together in homes for a meal and conversation. My goodness, what wonderful opportunity for Titus 2 to be lived out. Seniors, make yourselves available. Because I want to tell the younger ones, make sure you speak to a senior today you know speak to someone who's older than you and someone that you don't know ask them questions about um um where are they from how long they've been married how long they've lived in this area all those kind of things but make sure that you interact with them and seniors make sure you're doing the same thing with younger people and so look do you know what's going to stop this dead in, in in its tracks is when an older person, say a 70-year-old, comes up to you and asks you a question and you go, huh? Just walk away. That stops it dead. If someone reaches out to you, that's not been easy for them to do it. So you make sure that you respond appropriately. Second, for the younger men and women at Grace, pursue the wisdom that God has so graciously put in your path at this stage of life. Students of all ages, we need your passion. And you need our wisdom. Is it possible that passion burns out of control? Absolutely. Is it possible that seniors are capable of making careless mistakes? Absolutely. But again, it does not change God's design for the church. 
Young, younger folks, look around at the seniors that God has put into your church family. You know what this is? You know what? When you look at the people who are older in our church, you know what it is? People who are finishing well. And that is really not easy to do in the Christian life. We have to be honoring them the same way Ross Merriam was honored along with the Lord yesterday at Wake Chapel Church. When I was at TVR, we had between 30 and 40 staff members for the summer, really probably closer to 30. I know there are a lot more now, but that was a plenty back then. Uh, I, I, I never mentored women, uh, but I did spend time with the young men. Often uh, I would get them when I was walking. I'd walk on the ball field and I'd just grab one and say, hey, come with me. Or someone would come to me and say, hey, can I walk with you someday, one of these days that you're doing? So how did I choose who I would mentor? It was pretty easy. I spent time with the people who would not be denied. It was a model I learned from the Navigators, a discipleship ministry designed to impact college students and military personnel in particular. But a lot of you have benefited, and you may not even know, from Navigator discipleship studies. They... they took the lead on us following 2 Timothy 2.2, where the older men put uh, wisdom into the younger men or uh, teach them what needs to be taught to the next generation and so on, faithful men. I cannot tell you how many times I have attempted to, I see a young man with promise at TVR or here at Grace, and I I say, hey, you want to spend a little time together? And we do sometimes, but if they don't initiate the relationship, so many times those efforts have very little chance of success. And again, I understand 2 Timothy 2.2 indicates that the leader takes the initiative in discipleship, but it usually happens with one who is clearly, it says in 1 Timothy 2.2, to do this with faithful men. And as often as not, it turns out to be someone in pursuit of spiritual growth. Young, eager disciples understand they need the seasoned wisdom of age to help direct the godly passions of youth. I heard it said one time years ago, experience is expensive. And wise is the person who buys it secondhand. Got to have people selling it. But if it's being sold, you ought to be purchasing it secondhand. That's a good word to the young. We close with a word for the entire Grace family. Be self-controlled, be submissive, and in everything, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The Christian life is like no other life. Self-control is a part of many religions, but our self-control is not motivated by a desire to achieve salvation. It is rather um, practice in response of gratitude and expression of gratitude to Jesus who left his throne in heaven to become one of us, part of the creation, and to die for sinners so that all who believe will be saved. Belief in Jesus' sacrifice includes repentance from sins, which begins a life that is designed to be submissive. You must submit to come to Christ in faith. And that 
spirit of submission is supposed to continue all through life. Not subservient, but yes, submissive. What does it mean to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? It means to live in such a way that others see Jesus in you. It's not an easy life, but it is the only life you will discover in the end. The only life that is worth pursuing. There are no doubt some here today, especially older saints, who think that their job or their status in life or their medical condition keeps them from having meaningful service in God's kingdom. The New Testament teaches that there is no such thing as a purposeless or meaningless place in the kingdom of God. Even if you have made monumental mistakes in your life, God's gift of repentance restores your relationship with him. And in your submission to him and to the people in place God has brought into your life, you will glorify God and adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Don't you think it's so cool that slaves, first century slaves, when they were in submission and received from the hand of the Lord their place in life? I'm not saying they, sh- they didn't, they were not encouraged to stay in that place. We're not encouraged to stay where we, in, we are in life. We have all got the opportunity to better ourselves, and that's a great thing. But in their place, they had a chance to put on the doctrine of God, wear it well. And others would say, boy, that's Jesus. And I cannot tell you how many people who were very successful or very intelligent, very wealthy, come to Christ because of ordinary people adorning the doctrine of God. And they see something in that person that they want. The grace... And mercy of Jesus will shine forth through all those who live according to the instructions in Titus Titus 2 as a living, walking testimony of the gospel. I'll end our time by repeating Eugene Peterson's thoughts about church life. Once again, neither the mysteries of Scripture nor the mess of our world is simple. If we're going to learn a life of holiness in the mess of history, we're going to have to prepare for something intergenerational in thinking centuries. There's never been a time in my life where what the world says and what Scripture says are as far apart as they are today. We got to choose which way we're going to go. If you choose the way of the world, you're going to be shifting every day. You choose the scripture, people are going to mock you, despise you, threaten you. and You're going to be walking with Jesus. Some of those people who are mocking and threatening you are going to see it. and Be drawn to the cross of Christ where they will find life. Amen. Let's think about this intergenerational privilege. We are blessed to pursue. We don't have to create this. God has already put it in our midst. Let's think about it from the oldest to the youngest. Let's pray.
Well, Father, thank you that time and time again, when I become almost fearful, not so much about persecution, but just to think, oh my, this message is so different from the world. How can I possibly... Time after time, you affirm the truth of the gospel in my heart. Thank you for this wide range of ages that you have given us that believe the exact same message. We believe that Jesus died for us. We believe that God has given us, that you, Father, have given us a special role. As an older man or woman, a younger man or woman, even those who are in the most difficult places as the slaves were in the first century have a huge role time and again in your word today. We were told to live this way, not so we can just isolate from the world, but so that the world might see and recognize a far better life, a far better way, a far better belief than what they have accepted at that point. So, Lord, may we be a witness as we love one another. We receive this word from you, and we commit to taking up our responsibilities wherever we are, knowing even for the young ones, they won't stay there. They'll be the older ones one day. So right now, we've all got a spot that you have have designed for us. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will give us the desire and ability to live as we are called to live. And in so doing, we will exalt Jesus, Father, according to your plan. And it's in the name of Jesus and all that it represents that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.